the Corner 3 Podcast, weekly tales of the NBA's hardwood from the suburbs of Cincinnati. Check us out at thecorner3.net. Hey everybody, welcome to another installment of the Corner 3 Podcast. Really excited to share this week, a lot to talk about, including Dirk Nowitzki hitting 30,000 and uh, Alex's alma mater, Northern Kentucky University, making their first trip to the NCAA Tournament. Alex, you pumped for that? That's really cool. I mean, I don't necessarily look back on my time there with with incredible fondness. That was more of a personal thing. However, <laughs> it's really cool to see. It's something I never thought I'd see happen. So yeah. it's really interesting, and I'm really excited. I am too. So with that being said, let's go to introduce our group as always. As we mentioned there, Alex Derrickson, repping the Northern Kentucky University. Also, Mr. Sean Mackey, how are you? Good. What's going on, Tim? I am living the dream, man. A lot of fun hoops to talk about, and we had to bring in a great guest for this week. If you left, if you are on Twitter and follow up to the NBA, you need to have this guy on there on your Twitter list. He is from Real GM. He's from Sixteen Wins a Ring. He's a Celtics. He contributes to Celtics blog. He's a little bit all over the place. You can check him out on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. Guys, this is Keith Smith. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Of course. So. Keith, if you're cool, let's. You just want to jump right into the the salary cap rabbit hole? Yeah, absolutely. I'm always All right. getting to a salary cap. <laughs> All right. I, I, I wasn't sure if I had, if you wanted me to like butter you up a little bit before we just got right into the entree here. Uh, let's uh, just jump so, in. Perfect. So, looking at, at these, some of the 2017 free agents, uh, common names are Blake Griffin, Derrick Rose, and then looking at the uh, teams' available cap space for 2017. Uh, recent history for the way a lot of teams sign their talent you get your teams that sign their one big name to contribute uh some teams kind of aggregate talent by taking the cap space and distribute it out amongst a lot of people to fill the roster and then you kind of just get the teams that don't get anything uh do you see some teams maybe leaning a certain way or do you think there's gonna be one team in particular that's gonna like maximize their cap space this year uh so who who yeah so who's going to make like the biggest splash or who do you think is going to aggregate the most talent yeah i think there is a chance the team that will probably step up the most this summer and i promise i'm not going homer on you guys but it's probably gonna be the celtics and it's a combination of the fact that they're already good they have the draft picks and they have the potential to have a lot of cap space so that's a rare combination. You don't usually have a team that's in the top uh, tier of their conference and then can add players with the ability that Boston can do also while maintaining their core not giving up any of their core pieces. So that's a big one. And my other go-to for this answer is always the Miami Heat. Once Miami removes Chris Bosh, which should be coming really at any point now, but it will come before the offseason, they're going to have between 37 and $46 million in cap space. So enough to really go out and add a minimum of one max guy. If they finagle a couple other things, maybe even two. And that's going to be huge for them. We've all seen what Miami can do when they have cap space. So I think we will see them make a big jump this summer. Is that uh, just you know prognosticating here? Is that where Derrick Rose is going? To Miami? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of Derrick Rose, who's is going? Who's going to walk away from this free agency the most overpaid? Uh, you, you hit a good one. Could could be him. 
uh, for sure. I always like to look at big men when this topic comes up. Bigs always get overpaid. Look at Timofey Moskov got a big contract right out of the gate. Seemed like seconds after free agency opened last summer, and now he doesn't even play for the Lakers. So that was a good use of money. Um, I think in terms of maybe not immediately this year or next, but the guy whose contract will look the worst by the end is probably Serge Ibaka's. I think he's going to get paid a big amount from the Toronto Raptors to keep them there. They, they don't have options other than to really keep their team together with the way their cap sheet looks. And I think they're going to pay Ibaka a considerable amount. I don't think it's going to look like a very good contract come the end, end of it. Sure. And, and looking at kind of the NBA as the haves and have-nots in a way, uh, how do you suspect a team like Brooklyn or something like that? You take like one of the bottom, like bottom tier teams in the in the league. What do they need to do to make a convincing case to lure someone out there? And and how do you see like who do you think needs to go there to help out like a bottom team? Like who do you see on the free agent list as a possible like could boost a team significantly? Yeah, you mentioned Brooklyn. They're they're an interesting case. I think we'll see them do similar to what they did this past offseason, that they may chase guys on the restricted market, throw a bunch of money at them, and try and get the, their teams not to match or force other teams to match. So targets for them could be guys like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, potentially someone like an Otto Porter Jr., those are guys that they could throw a ton of money at to bring to Brooklyn and force their teams to match. That's what they did with Alan Crabb and Tyler Johnson. And that puts puts the incumbent team in a tricky spot because they, in general, end up overpaying for a player when you have to do that. And now, Colwell Pope, that's probably something the Pistons, even up to a max contract, would match without hesitation. The other names I mentioned, and maybe Otto Porter Jr., he's probably looking at the Wizards could match a max and not worry with him. Any of the other names I mentioned, you're going to give the team at least pause, and that's really all you want to be if you're in a place like Brooklyn. Beyond that, for Brooklyn or even Philadelphia, who has a lot of cap space as well, it's going to be bringing veterans on short-term contracts, maybe one or two years, but overpay them by a considerable amount for those one or two years because you're not too worried about keeping your cap sheet clean this year or next. And a lot of times in the NBA, guys will take the most money and not worry about the situation. So that's where I think we're going to see Brooklyn and Philly attempt to make splashes. Philly tried last year with Jamal Crawford, Monty Ginobili they offered a ton of money to. They ultimately didn't get either one, but I think we'll see a repeat of that. Something one or two years, but 15, 20 million for a guy over those one or two years just so that they can start moving things forward. Keith, uh, I know you're a big Celtics guy, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just dive into some Celtics stuff. Sure. Um, Amir Johnson, he's on his last year uh, with the Celtics. Do you see him staying past the season, or um, do you see him just bringing in somebody else completely? I think there's a good chance what we're gonna see the Celtics do is they're gonna do some what I like to call cap gymnastics, and that's in order to free up the most space. I think we're gonna see them wave. Uh, or excuse me, renounce rather a guy, guys like Amir Johnson, uh, Jonas Derebko to get their salaries off the cap sheet and then move forward in free agency. But what they'll do is they'll preserve some of their exceptions or remaining cap space to potentially bring a guy like Amir Johnson back. 
So I think there's a good chance early on in free agency he gets renounced, he's wiped off the books, but then later in free agency with the remainder of what Boston has for cap space and or an exception that they could bring a guy like Amir Johnson back because they like him quite a bit. Yeah. And if they could get a, uh, another better big in there, he would be a, an ideal third big man for them. Do you think Blake Griffin is someone they go after, realistically? And, yeah, so they made a lot of noise last summer. They tried to get Blake Griffin. They had some conversations throughout this entire year, back and forth. The Clippers weren't ready to move on anything at this point. They want to give it at least this year one more run with the guys that they have. So I think what you're going to see happen is a lot with Blake Griffin is going to depend on how the season ends in Los Angeles. If it ends in disappointment, we may see them start to break that team up. If it doesn't, then, you know, I think he's probably, he's not probably, he's definitely going to opt out of his contract because guys always do unless they're you know injured or massively overpaid in that final year, he'll opt out. And if the, things go well this year for them, you know, a conference finals run or maybe even a finals run, if things go really, really well, I think they'll bring the band back together and keep everybody there. If it doesn't, then I think there's a chance Griffin could move on. But he loves Los Angeles, so it's tricky to see. But there's been some interest definitely on the Boston side. So I think he's a guy, he amongst a couple others is a guy that, the Celtics will make a run at. He'd be a fun addition to that team. Um, what do you think about the Jimmy Butler uh, rumors that have been going on over the last, you know, year? Yeah, it's think, interesting. Oh, go ahead. I'm just. Do you do you think there might be like a draft day deal this year? I know there was one. You know, they were talking last summer, and you know, it didn't come down. It came down to the trade deadline this year, and they didn't make a move, and. You know, there's talk that it's probably going to start up again on draft night. Yeah, so anyone who's seen me on Twitter or reads what I write or has heard me anywhere else knows that I held to, I think it's highly unlikely that a star trade happens in season. They're just very rare because they're very hard to pull off. You have to match salary. You have to match value. There's a lot of things that go into it. So for a guy like Jimmy Butler, if the Bulls do reopen the market for him, it is far more likely to happen in the offseason when you have more time to put it all together. So I think for Boston, I think that if Jimmy Butler does become available again and their plans aren't to go the free agent route, I do think that they'll pursue looking into trading for Jimmy Butler or potentially even Paul George if he's put back on the market. And they'll look at trying to make one of those moves. And again, it's going to probably matter how things end up for Chicago or for Indiana, for George this year, and what things are looking like going into next season, how willing their teams are to trade either one of those players. So, Keith, keeping this ball rolling with uh, fascinating free agent and possible acquisition questions, um, I, like most people now on Twitter, am fascinated with the New Orleans Pelicans after the splash they made. But surprisingly, with you being on the show, I don't want to talk about Boogie. I don't want to talk about AD. I want to talk about Drew Holiday because this is the year coming up where he's going to be available. Um, and you are hearing seeing different rumblings where I've compared Drew Holiday to say he's kind of the Andy Dalton of NBA point guards where there is some group that will tell you if they think he's good, they'll tell you how good he is. And the people that don't will tell you how bad he is. But right now, he's kind of like that teetering line of like, would you rather have him or somebody else? He's in that like mid-range point guard range. And uh, you're seeing a lot of reports where, and I kind of agree, 
it feels like the Pelicans are probably going to have to sign him to that 20 mil range this year with the free agents being out there. Obviously, it looks like Chris Paul is looking like he's heading back to Los Angeles. And I don't think the George Hill and Jeff Teague are going to hit the market from their trades that the Pacers and Jazz made. So I guess in a two-parter one, do you expect the New Orleans Pelicans to throw 20 mil at Drew Holiday to be their point guard again next year? And two, if not him, who? So I do think that they will go towards the 20 million range just because you kind of stated it. The point guards who are on the market, there's a good chance that none of them leave, or the good ones at any rate, the Chris Pauls and Jeff Teagues and George Hills and obviously Stephen Curry. Those guys are going to stick around where they are. They're going to kind of continue with their teams and just re-up there for as much money as they can get. Then that takes you into the next year. Sorry, I shouldn't have left Kyle Lowry out of that. If he finds out, he'll oh, track yeah, me point. down and murder me. So, um, I, you know, I don't want to leave him out of that, that top tier. But now you're into the next group, which Drew Holiday is probably the prime guy there. The tricky part for New Orleans is they don't really have the cap flexibility to do anything else if they lose Holiday. Losing Holiday is the only way they can get to any, any form of meaningful cap space minus starting to trade guys away and getting teams to eat bad contracts that they have and the like. So that's probably not going to happen. And then what you're going to run into is you're going to end up with them probably having to overpay Holiday because of lack of other options on the market. The only way I see Holiday leaving is if Holiday wants to leave. Now, I can tell you he is very appreciative to the organization for the way they supported him through his off-the-court issues this year and he you know has been continuous in his comments that he wants to stay in new orleans he wants to build something special there so i think they're going to keep him around and they're going to pay him big they they've stuck with him through all these injury problems as well so i think there's a good chance he will be be the guy who sticks around in new orleans and you know and then beyond him they'll have to go out and get some form of backup but that'll be whoever they can kind of get on the market Best case scenario is they still get that Kings pick. Yeah, I th- I think so. I think they'll they'll probably um, get that that uh, pick. I don't think Sacramento's gonna end up in a spot where where that doesn't come through. So um, you know, so that's. Or I'm sorry, no, they they're going the other way, right? They're they're trading. Yeah, the, yeah, they, there is some that. sort of protection on it, but yeah, yes. that best scenario for them to keep it. Sorry. Yeah, um, I get what you're saying now. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, that'd be nice, but I think it's what is it? It's top three protected, right? Yeah, I don't know that they're going to get to the top three. It's going they're they'd have to get lucky in the lottery to get there because they're not obviously no one's catching Brooklyn, probably no one's catching Los Angeles at this point. Maybe Phoenix keeps winning enough and New Orleans falls down, but but I it, it would have to take a lot of lottery luck for New Orleans to keep that pick this year. So talking about front offices, um, Sean and I had this debate last week, so I'm going to see if you can kind of solve this for us. Uh, We've been going back and forth on who's exactly the best general manager currently for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I say it's David Griffin. He says it's LeBron James. What do you think? It's 100% David Griffin. Um, You know, it gets overstated that LeBron runs that team. I can tell you with all certainty, LeBron doesn't know anything about the salary cap other than that there is one. (laughs) <laughs> and how I can tell you that it's David Griffin is when you look at the way he put together the Kyle Corver trade over a series of moves over two seasons to build to the point where he could get Corver and not have to give up anything of value to make it happen, 
because of the way he created trade exceptions and rolled those trade exceptions into other trade exceptions and piled up what at the time seemed like meaningless assets but were in in all cases valuable he convinced portland to take the pick this year versus next year which portland had no reason to do that and he you know got them to buy in by giving them one extra minor asset down the line so david griffin is a very very good general manager he didn't overpay for anybody knowing hey i can get someone on the buyout market and the other thing that gets forgotten is and it's and this is i don't want to rip on lebron too much here because it's not just him all players do this they're not the ones who are signing those paychecks so when they're even if the ownership committed hey we'll spend to, to win and make things happen to a, to a point, you know, they, they don't ever, uh, you know, say, you know, we'll spend whatever it takes. And, you know, under the, the sun, I mean, the, the ownership there, they, they've got a point where they're going to say, all right, that's enough. You know, so they could have used trade exceptions to bring in other guys and pick up bigger pieces. But David Griffin waited it out, got Darren Williams. Unfortunately, the bogey thing's not going to work out because of a broken leg, but they're they're okay, you know. They're they're set up well. They've got more depth than they had previously, and they're looking pretty good now heading into the playoffs. Yeah, they have looked pretty awesome. So I'm really looking for that. Did you? But are you one of the few that was lucky to get a pre-order copy of Wendy's book? I was not. No, but I'm definitely gonna pick that up when it comes out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be awesome. So yeah. <clears throat> let's talk a little on the court stuff here because obviously discussion all season has definitely been um, in the MVP case of. Russ and James Harden, and rightfully so. Those guys have excellent cases. They've done awesome things for, and they've definitely pulled their teams. And then there's one guy who, you know, guys like us who religiously watch the NBA, we knew how good he's been this season, including opening night against Golden State, not just this past Monday night against Houston. But Kawhi Leonard seems like he's announced his name into this MVP candidacy and really getting his name out there. And we all know how awesome of a player he is, the best two-way player in the league. Um, what are your feelings on his candidacy? Do you think he has a legitimate shot now? Yeah, I do. I think he's second at this point. I did on uh, another show that I'm on, Unquestionably Raw NBA podcast. We did our MVP ranks last night, and I had Kawhi second on my list, only behind James Harden. I think Russ has dropped off. It, it's, it sounds stupid to say this, but I'm going to say it. There's a difference between Russ averaging 9.9 assists per game and 10, which sounds dumb, but there just is. If he doesn't average that triple-double, he's just a guy who had a really great season whose team finished seventh in the conference. And I think he's actually hurting his case with the way he has played in the last uh, week or so, where it's just you know 30-plus shot attempts a night and ball going up and going crazy. Then, then the next guy you get eliminated is LeBron James. Now, LeBron's like Michael Jordan back in the day in the sense that you could just give him the MVP every year because he's the best player on the planet, but no one's going to do that, so teams just kind of say, eh, all right, who, who else is there? So that leaves James Harden, who, in my mind, is the MVP, and then you have Kawhi is right there, and he's making noise. Now, if James Harden slips off at all and San Antonio can somehow snag the one seed from Golden State, I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think at the end of the year for who gets it. I still think it should be Harden because he's been fantastic. One of the stats I love to use is Harden hasn't had less than seven assists in a game all year, and he hasn't missed a game this season. And, you know, that's just amazing. So, you know, it should be him, but but Kawhi's definitely making noise. So looking at this season and everything so far, because we're kind of reared up towards the end of it here, 
what's been the most surprising factor? What team has surprised you the most, or you know, what what are you seeing that has has shocked you or perplexed you this season? So, what team has surprised me the most? It's I'm going to stick with the Houston theme here. Is Houston? I thought that they were going to be good, but I actually thought they'd miss the playoffs because I thought their defense was going to be bottom two or three in the entire NBA, and I didn't think the offense would make up for it. Their defense has played really average-ish. It's a little overstated. They're you know, a little bit worse than that, but as long as they stick in that top 20, their offense is so good that there's really nothing you can do to, to stop them at times. So when they play that four-out lineup around Harden, and open those driving lanes. There's no way any team can ever finish this off. Finish them off, rather. So, so they're the teams that team that has absolutely surprised me the most as far as how um, well they played. What's perplexed me is this narrative that's going around that we we I know you guys have heard it. I've heard it. Of uh, eh, this season stinks because it's just Golden State and Cleveland again, and that's all we're waiting on. That it couldn't be further from the truth. This has been a fantastic NBA season. It's been, you know, one of my favorite seasons that I can remember in quite some time. As far as there, there's great games every night. There's so many good storylines. There is good teams. Cleveland and Golden State are more vulnerable than people think, and you know they're they're just it's it's just been you know an outstanding season with that. And then I'm going to give you one more quick one because actually I live in Orlando now and the Magic have been one of the most disappointing teams to me. Just from the standpoint of I thought they were going to have an elite defense this year and it didn't work out and I knew their offense would stink and that has been the case. And they just they, they haven't been able to overcome that. They're one of the more inconsistent teams in the league and they're just you know struggling through and another yet another season post-Dwight Howard here in Orlando. I actually just it, simulated the 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 lottery on Tankathon, and wouldn't you know the Orlando Magic got the number one pick on Tankathon. So stop me if you've heard that before. Yeah, we've been there a couple times. And with you mentioning Houston and Orlando, it kind of leads into a follow up question I had. Looking at D'Antoni and looking at Frank Vogel and how D'Antoni had these great Phoenix seasons, terrible New York seasons, and he's kind of rising back up with Houston. Was it just a situation where the league figured him out and he just couldn't run his offense anymore? What's happened with Houston this time around with D'Antoni, and what do you think is so different with Frank Vogel going from Indiana uh, Indiana to Orlando? Yeah, so both of them, it's similar. It's pieces. So D'Antoni has the right players in place to run his system in Houston. He didn't have that in New York. Carmelo Anthony wouldn't buy into it. You know, Carmelo, for all his talents, he's not going to get up and down the floor really fast and fire shots you know, left and right, which seems odd. You'd think he'd be all about that, right, with the way he plays. But he, he just doesn't do that. And then in Los Angeles, D'Antoni ran into the same thing with Kobe Bryant. Again, not going to play that style. In Houston, he has James Harden, who's completely said, yeah, that sounds great. I'm in. And then they went out and put shooters left and right all over the place around them. And then the guys who aren't shooters are some of the better role men in the league, like Clint, Clint Capella and Nene, who can just get to the basket and finish repeatedly. So they have the right pieces around. In Orlando, you've got a little bit of a different story. Vogel built an elite defense in Indiana around five guys who really got after it defensively. 
backbone by Roy Hibbert, who was at the time, you know, we all kind of laugh about it now because he's not there anymore. But he was one of the best big men in the entire NBA as far as protecting the rim. He was so good for those years for the Pacers when they were really good. So in Orlando, he's got Nick Vucevic to play a lot of defense, which is great because no one else had been able to figure that out. And he's just the other pieces around haven't been very good. And then, of course, they, they tried to force feed or force Aaron Gordon into that small forward spot which didn't work. Everybody but the Magic, I think, knew he was a power forward, and there's no reason he should have been playing in that small forward position. And that's just been been a mess from the beginning. Now, strangely enough, since they made the trade, they're still not winning games, but they've been a far more watchable team, and they've been far better on the court since they made the deal. Keith, going back with the Rockets, kind of going back full circle to salary cap, um, you got a team this year, like you said, they've they've kind of overperformed with the the lineup that they have um surprisingly um with some of these guys I you know I didn't really know I didn't really think we're going to mesh together and they've meshed perfectly um you know with Clint Capella and Eric Gordon and everybody um who do you see them going after this summer to maybe like you know put them you know in a more of a top tier team yeah, I think they are going to have cap space. They're not going to have a ton. They'll have yeah. a little a little under $12 million in cap space, most likely. So I think what we'll see them do is they'll pursue, ideally, another big to pair with Capella and someone who could probably swing between the, the four and the five. Ibaka would have been perfect for them in that sense. They won't have enough money to go after a guy like him. Or if they can't get somebody who fits both ways that they want to play, there's a couple other guys that I think they could definitely go after that would make sense for them as far as um, styling to fill a hole. And those guys are guys like Alan Williams from the Phoenix Suns, who is a ridiculous rebounder, can just get after it like crazy and make a ton of plays on that end of the floor. I could see them pursuing... Guys, a guy like Orsan Ilyasova makes some sense for them as a backup who could help. Jamichael Green, another restricted free agent who's just an athletic, bouncy guy that would fit. He's actually shooting better than he ever has in his career. So I think that's where you're going to see them go. They're they're well-stocked in the backcourt and on the wing, so it's probably another big that they'll be looking at. Or it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Daryl Morey just say, you know what, I'm going to conserve this space. And then I'll make my move in season when somebody frees up and becomes available. I'm with you on the Ilyasova thing. I could see them going after him. He's had kind of a he had a really good season in Philly, but they were terrible this year anyway. So those were just really inflated stats. But I think he could probably really help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know. Any, it's it's funny. Right? You don't you want to try too hard not to go down to one stereotype, right? Of well, he's a big who can shoot. But to some extent, that's where they go. So, you know, another guy who would make a lot of sense for them if for some reason Toronto let him slip free would be Patrick Patterson, who could go back oh, yeah. to Houston where he was, you know, there for a while before he'd be another good fit for the Rockets. Do you think at any point Jose Calderon looked at his deal with Golden State and then saw what happened to Andrew Bogut and was like, dang, I got off easy? <laughs> <laughs> I think he might. You know, I think, um, you know, I, I think. Jose Calderon almost probably says, boy, 
I wish Atlanta hadn't claimed me because they would have had to sign me to a whole new contract. I got paid twice um, when I hit waivers. So, you know, but that's, uh, you know, definitely, you know, it's one thing we talked about this uh, somewhere else that I was earlier this week. One cool thing is, you know, people are like, oh, man, the Warriors, why'd they bother? Well, oh, you do that to curry favor with agents and with players around the league. People take notice of things like that. They said they were going to sign Calderon. Then Durant went down and the need became, all right, we need a small forward, and Barnes was out there. So they went that direction. But they stuck to their word and said, you know, we'll still sign Calderon and we'll get him waived in time that he can join another, another team for the playoff run, which is just – it's just the way you do business. It's the right thing to do by guys, and that, that'll get paid back to them at some point down the line with some form of uh, signing or pickup or something from Calderon's agent. I wanted to see Calderon on that Golden State team so bad. I was so disappointed. Yeah, I I like Calderon. You know, people – I have this thing where people spend a lot of time talking about what players – doesn't matter who they are. People spend a lot of time talking about what they can't do. And they talk so much about what guys can't do that they forget what they can do. Calderon never turns the ball over, and he's a great shooter. I think he would have been great for Golden State. You know, I think he would have fit in really well there and would have spot up, probably hit a bunch of shots to win him a playoff game. And a bunch of the casual fans would have been like, wasn't Calderon? Isn't that guy like 50 years old and doesn't he spin? <laughs> you know, and the reality is he just sticks to what he does. And sometimes when you stick to what you do, that that's that's for the best. One of my first fantasy basketball leagues was a uh, used assist to turnover ratio as opposed to just total turnovers. So I totally drafted Jose Calderon. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's a solid one. <laughs> All right. So, Keith, a couple questions for you. Uh, one's actually an activity more than a question. But first one I ask okay. you, I don't know how much you follow, if you do follow the NBA draft at all, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. This is a pretty promising draft coming out. We talk about it all the time. And if you've ever listened to our show, you've heard me probably talk about Markel Fultz to the moon. I think he's the best prospect in this draft. In your eyes, who do you see as the best? I guess which player from this from this very deep draft do you think makes the best transcription to the NBA? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think immediately it could be um, somebody like Bunk. Uh, yeah, from Kentucky, just because he can shoot. I think long-term, though, I think Fultz is probably the guy. And then I really, really like Josh Jackson if he lands in the right right place. Um, but if he goes to the wrong team, I, I'm worried about, about a team putting too much on him right away and trying to make him do too many things. He's kind of this guy who's a jack-of-all-trades. But in the NBA, you, you don't want that. You know, you want a guy, bring him in. I think a lot about what the Celtics did with Jalen Brown this year. Now, they were very fortunate to be in this situation. They brought Brown, Brown in and said, be aggressive on both ends. That's all we want you to do. You pick up fouls, doesn't matter. Who cares? You're only going to probably play 20 minutes max anyway. Doesn't matter. And now look at where Jalen Brown is at this point. He's starting to play big minutes and clutch moments against really good teams. So that's my fear with Jackson. If he goes to the wrong team where they have to say, be, be our guy right out of the gate. I don't know if he's ready for that. So I think Monk can can be the guy immediately, hit the court, do really well. But I think Fultz or Jackson's probably my favorite two guys long-term from this draft class. I, I agree. Um, I think Lonzo Ball does bring a lot to the table, but I think he has some very vivid flaws that people don't really talk about. Uh, but I still think he'll be a good NBA player. Yeah, I do too. I think once you establish that you can handle the ball and pass, there's always a place for those guys in the NBA. And he's not... 
people want to make it up because they look at the way he played in high school and his team, you know, played that crazy up and down style and fire from everywhere. And people think he can't play any defense. He's a better defender than people think. He's still not great. And he's probably never going to be an all defense guy, but he's fine. You know, we just talked about Jose Calderon, right? That guy's built a huge career and he's never been a good defender. So I think ball comes in, you know, good ball handler, a good passer right away. And if he can make shots, you know, he has a chance to be, be an impactful player right out of the gate. It's just my, my fear with him is he's going to be someone who teams are going to put too much on again right out of the gate to be like, all right, go be our guy, go put on a show. Now I know that he's going to be ready for that day one. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, so the activity is this. Um, I'm going to name five players who, whether they be free agents or trade targets from this past deadline. Um, and you're gonna, I'm going to give you – you have a second to think, so don't think you have to give immediately – you're going to tell me where you think they make the most sense, whether it be they stay put with their current team or they got to be moved. You ready? Good. All right, number one, Alex's favorite player, Gordon Hayward. I think he should stay in Utah. If not Utah, then Boston makes a lot of sense for him, but I think he should stay in Utah. Which brings I agree me to, 100%. Which brings me to Jimmy Butler. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, you, you are going to start to sense a theme here real quick. I think he should stay in Chicago, but if he's going to go anywhere else, I think Boston makes a lot of sense for Jimmy Butler, but I'd you, like to you see can't, him stay with the Bulls. You can't just because you like Boston. You can't put everybody in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> it's not how this works. No, it's not It's not that I like Boston. It's that Boston has the ability to get all those guys. <laughs> all right, uh, Ricky Rubio. All right, he, he shouldn't go to Boston. Um <laughs> So, Speak of him like he's a curse. <laughs> Rubio says, no, I like Rubio. He The, the problem with Rubio is it's going to be the right kind of team. He has to have shooters around him. If he, if he doesn't have shooters around him, then he's not, it's just not going to work. I really liked that idea of him in Detroit. I thought that made you know a lot of sense. So I, I think there's a chance that that gets rekindled this offseason. So you know, if, if Minnesota wants to move on, the problem is Minnesota, they have to have a clear – clear guy ready to step in at the point guard spot. And I loved Chris Dunn coming into the draft. I'm from New England. I, I, I uh, Quick aside, the Providence head coach was one of my uh, teachers in high school, actually. So he is, um, you know, I love him. And I thought Chris Dunn was going to be great. He just isn't ready. And I'm not sure, you know, another summer is going to change that. So Rubio, stick in Minnesota. If not, I'd really like to see him on the Pistons. So two more here. Let's go with Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I want to see him out of New York because it's just not it's not a good situation for anybody. It's not good for the Knicks. It's not good for Melo. And, you know, I'd love to see him, if they can make it work out, I'd love to see him with a team like the Clippers or maybe with, with the Bulls if Wade sticks around there and Butler goes out in the deal or even if Butler stays. Get get him somewhere where he's, where he's with one of his buddies and we can really, you know, be – Get into that and move past all of this because got to get him off the Knicks. And the last one was Dwayne Wade, actually. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, Wade's a tricky one. because So so here's the deal with Wade. If he wants to get paid, he's going to stay right where he is and opt into his contract and stay in Chicago. If he doesn't care about money and he's content to really maybe transition into a six-man role or a place where he's clearly fourth or fifth best starter – I think he'd be fine, you know, going to Cleveland, L.A., you know, again, Team Banana Boat, get them all together. 
you know, make it work outside of LeBron because I, I think I think LeBron's smarter than that. I think he's saying, eh, no, I've, I've got a better deal with the guys I've got now in Cleveland versus all my friends. But that that's the only way. So I think he'll probably stay right where he is. And then, unfortunately, my thing with Wade has been that he's going to be one of those guys where he's going to retire a year or two too late. And we're going to watch those last couple of seasons and be like, oh, man, what happened to this guy? You know, it's just he, he's almost too proud to give up until it's until teams give up on him, if, if I can put it that way. So with that being said, I guess to add one more there, would Beijing be the one for Rajon Rondo? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, you know, I, I kind of, you know, it's funny because Rondo has actually played a little bit better in the second half of the year. They once everybody there settled down and said, all right, we're done with, you know, all this nonsense of why is he not starting and, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's played, played better in the second half of the year as a backup point guard. If he can go somewhere and really accept, I'm going to be a backup now and that's just how it's going to be, I think he'd be all right for any number of teams. problem is I don't think he's willing to do that. I think he wants to be somewhere where he's going to be, be the guy. I think it could be one of those where Rondo goes the route of he's not on a team when teams crack training camp, but then come, you know, middle of the season, a team loses a point guard injury or somebody doesn't work out somewhere, he could be a guy that a team brings in at that point and has, you know, kind of hopes he comes in to save the day. And my guess is he won't, but that's what they'll try. So, Keith, with that being said, man, I promised you between 30 and 45 minutes, we were right smack dab in the middle of that. You've been an unbelievable guest. We've really enjoyed talking with you and being educated on the salary cap and all that's to come. But we're not going to let you get out of here without giving you a chance to self-promote you and give you a chance to promote yourself. That was really terrible done by me. So <laughs> whether that be your blogs, your Twitter account, anywhere that the world can find you and ask you questions about the salary cap and can follow along with you during NBA free agency this summer, the floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm pretty active on there. At Keith Smith NBA, K E I T H S M I T H NBA, no spaces, no special characters, nothing to make it really hard to find there. That's probably the best place to hit me up if you have questions because I'm on there pretty much all the time. Uh, you can find my written work at realgm.com, 16winsaring.com, and FanRag Sports. I write a daily column there called The Skip Pass, which wraps up the previous uh, night's action in the NBA. And then for Celtics-specific coverage, CelticsLog.com. And then I'm part of the team on the Unquestionably Raw NBA podcast. And we podcast on all kinds of different topics related to the NBA a couple times a week, generally on there, so you can find me there as well. But don't hesitate to hit me up on Twitter, ask questions. I, you know, Sometimes you, 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 you call it a rabbit hole. I might, I might drag you in there with me and uh, go kind of deep on salary cap stuff. But it's, uh, you know, it's what I love. It's what I do. How do you sleep? Do you sleep? Listen to all those blogs uh, you write for. <laughs> I I sleep okay occasionally. Well, when I do sleep, I sleep well. Let's put it that way. Fair enough. <laughs> all right, well, Keith, again, man, thank you so much for joining us. We had a blast with you, and everyone, enjoy the night. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to the Corner 3 Podcast, weekly tales of the NBA's hardwood from the suburbs of Cincinnati. Be sure to add us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out our brand new website at thecorner3.net.